Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Well, Holly Whitcomb, welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. Um, You're here to talk about your book, The Seven Spiritual Gifts of Waiting. Our journey will always include waiting. And if we're going to continue to live, we are going to continue to wait. And the good news is that the discipline of waiting offers us seven spiritual gifts, which you wrote about. Um, And they are uh, patience, loss of control, living in the present, compassion, gratitude, humility, and trusting God. So welcome again, and and I'm so glad that you're here today to talk about this important practice, especially during, you know, these times in the pandemic, Um, a lot of us have been called to wait, and uh, it's a great skill to to have if if we can use these spiritual tools around, you know, all sorts of waiting in our lives. Yes, Pam, I think so. I've been really gratified that this book This book was popular from the beginning, which is very grace-filled and heartening for me. From the time it was published, it was a popular book, and I'm very grateful for that and humbled by that. But I have to say, during COVID, it was a comfort to many people. And I guess I hadn't foreseen that. Of course, none of us knew COVID was coming. But I have done a lot of retreats on the book. I've done a lot of guest author appearances on the book during COVID. And because this was such an extensive period of unpredicted waiting that was universal, the book um, just was very comforting to people over and over. Mm-hmm. And I think it was it was sustaining to them. And now with the Delta variant, uh, we're called upon to wait more, to be patient more. So I just have gratitude that the book has been useful, uh, yes. especially during this long universal wait of COVID. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I was I was introduced to the book on a retreat. And then I loved the book so much that I bought a copy and I actually have used it in my spiritual direction practice because, uh, you know, many times and different things in our lives, which you mentioned in the book, have call us to wait, including the pandemic. Um, I had a young mom whose, whose child was sick and there was always that waiting for the next test, the next thing. And it's an awful place to be. And I, I think that that, and maybe you would agree, that is the hardest place to wait <laughs> It is as a mother. Again, with gratitude, I say waiting is that universal human experience. And there are so many variations of waiting, as you've said, Pam, whether it's waiting for a child to get well, whether it's waiting for the results of medical tests, whether it's waiting to complete a graduate degree or waiting for a child to get home from Afghanistan. I mean, there's just waiting everywhere. And we are impatient people. We are let's fix this up quickly kind of people. And we're not accustomed to the patience and perspective that waiting requires. So um, I'm glad the book has been useful for people in various circumstances. Yeah, yeah. So I thought we would go through the different points of the book. Before I do that, I'm going to write, read something that you wrote. It says, there may be no more provoking experience than being told to wait. It stops any action we might take. We may feel powerless, unprotected. Someone else holds all the cards. And in the intervening moments or days or weeks or years, waiting beckons us to come to the well of humility and to drink deeply those clarifying waters give us a chance to see ourselves clearly, to both to see both our flaws and our gifts, and to accept our failings and our goodness. Even the waiting itself becomes a lens through which we can assess ourselves honestly. And I love that because I think that's a great summary of, of everything that we're going to talk about. I mean, waiting 
takes our control away yeah. and we're not accustomed to that. Yeah. We're in, you, you hit, you hit it when you said we are impatient people. And I, I find that I'm that way too. I, you know, I remember when, uh, my husband and I were newly married and we lived in an apartment and I couldn't wait till we had our first home. And he was like, it'll come. All of those things will happen. But you know, you're impatiently waiting for your first child for all of those stages of life to, yeah. to happen. And guess what? You know, I'm on the, I'm on the back end of it. My kids are all, you know, high school and college now, and, and, uh, and it goes pretty fast. So to, to be in it, um, I think is, is the way to go. So the first gift of waiting is patience. Um, patience means trusting. There is no quick fix. Um, it invites us to trust the fullness of God's time. In God's time, we are often waiting for the bigger picture, but must be content with each small piece along the way. Yes. Patience is an incredible tool for us to use right now. And I think patience invites us to active waiting, Pam. And I really like that term, active waiting. That's very different from passive waiting in which we exercise no personal agency. Active waiting says, we can do something about this. We don't have total control, but we can take steps to learn about ourselves and to help ourselves. I tell a little story in that chapter about a story that my hairdresser told me when her son was in prison for armed robbery. And another person had come into the prison and said, um, you do the time, don't let the time do you. Mm, wow. And I think um, when we do the time and don't let the time do us, we are engaged in active waiting. And certainly during this arduous past 18 months, we have learned a lot about active waiting, about the virtue of patience, about the virtue of perspective that patience teaches us. And we have learned in our active waiting what it takes to survive. What are those activities, those spiritual tools that let us prosper rather than wither? Mm -hmm. So I think active waiting as far as exhibiting patience is just a huge part of this process. And when you say active waiting, you know, before we went on the air, you shared a, a story about you and your husband had started biking, bike yeah. riding during, right. would you call that active waiting? I would, because um, we were shut down as everyone else is shut down. And we looked at each other and we thought, we can't travel. We can't safely do a lot of things. Our children live in Geneva, Switzerland and San Francisco. We can't get to them. Um, what do we do to make our lives more joy-filled and more sustainable? And um, we got on our bikes and there are beautiful rails to trails, bike trails in our area of Wisconsin. And on those bike rides, we engaged in active waiting because it felt as if we were going somewhere where we really weren't going that far at all. But we would see snapping turtles and we would see um, sandhill cranes and we would see coyotes. And there was just all kinds of good stuff to savor out there that has become an integral part of my personal active waiting. Yeah, I love that. That gives people like a real tangible taste of what active waiting could could look like that we can take on new hobbies or new things that are safe that, that and healthy, obviously. And also when when you mentioned, you know, the coyote, I thought, oh, wow, isn't that neat? But you have to be extremely present when we see those things in nature. When I mean, I'm see something that I'm delighted by or, you know, I was coming out of the woods with my dog yesterday morning. And I sort of was just, you know, you're in your head and I'm thinking and I glanced up and there was a big bald eagle in an old tree up above me. And I was like, whoa. And of course, I went home to get my camera. And when I got back, it was flying away. I, you know, I didn't get the picture, but I was so present. Yes, to it. Absolutely. And I, I don't want to 
But in the living, in the present, I think we pay attention. We pay attention. And certainly this time of coronavirus has taught us to pay attention, to notice things. We had um, in March of 2020, we had a mother great horned owl make a nest in a tree in our backyard, a mother great horned owl. And honestly, Pam, our lives revolved around the birth of baby great horned owl for about four weeks. And, you know, we weren't distracted by many things during coronavirus. And there was so much to notice about the hatching of the baby great horned owl, about its little Ewok self when it started to take the steps in our backyard. And we suddenly were paying attention to small things and we were savoring and we were noticing. Mm, so I love that. And I bet you had neighbors that maybe came by. to. Oh, yes. I mean, all of that. And that builds community and does. there's great connections to experiences like um, that. You know, it, it says here, uh, patience gives us time to be available to others. And so you were having patients waiting for this great horned owl to nest and, you know, and what a gift it felt like there were gifts for me in my own life during this quarantine time and things like that, that I maybe wouldn't have paid attention to, I would have been off hurrying mm-hmm. here and there. And so, so, you know, having this patience opened my eyes up to see things that I may have missed. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So the second gift of waiting is loss of control. We, Lot- sure, all, we sure all felt that. <laughs> We did. You know, this was now I have to say, for those who have had grave illness, for those who have been diagnosed with cancer, for example, they know already what loss of control is about. That's not new to people who have suffered in that way. I think for many of us, coronavirus was the great opener to loss of control. And we are people who like to predict our futures. We like to be in charge. And so this huge, massive pandemic, cultural loss of control took our breath away and um, humbled us. And I think allowed us to learn a great many spiritual lessons. One of the greatest spiritual lessons of loss of control, I think, Pam, is accepting not knowing. We like to know stuff. We like to predict stuff, as I just said. But this pandemic has taught us that we have to dwell in a place of not knowing. And that's been really hard for us. But I think that's been one of the most tremendous gifts of this time. Also, the loss of control has built our resilience. I think we've learned a lot of good things about ourselves, ways that we've been inventive and creative, and we're proud of that. We're proud of what we've discovered. We're proud of our ability to cope at the times when we were able to cope and we've deepened our resilience. And I think all that is, all of that is reaping the fruits of loss of control. Yeah. It's a frustrating place for a lot of people to be that sort of that loss of of control. And what would be some of the suggestions that you would make for people who are struggling with that piece of it? You know, again, I, my mind went back to just the present moment, you know, I, and, and being here now and somewhere else later. Yes. Yes. I think um, I write about in the chapter about loss of control. I also write about surrendering to grief. And oh my gosh, a lot of us are surrendering to grief, whether it is very visceral in the loss of a loved one. Um, I haven't seen my son in two years. And that's a heartbreak for me. I haven't seen him. He has a little girl who's two. I haven't seen them in two years. And I don't mean to make more of this than it is, 
But that's heartbreaking to me. That's a grief to me, that separation, that loss of closeness. Now there's Zoom and there's Skype and that's wonderful, but that's my grief to bear. And people are surrendering to all sorts of griefs. I think also, Pam, frankly, some have relatives who won't get vaccinated and they're afraid for them. They're filled with fear for them. And that's another kind of grief that some people are are bearing. So loss of control also means sitting with your grief, accepting it and claiming it. And how does someone do that? I think by paying attention, by not being so fearful of grief that one can't dwell there, at least for short periods of time. We often flee grief because it's so very hard. Very few of us want to sit with our grief. And yet, if we don't spend some moments there, uh, it will be delayed and it might get larger. Yeah, you mentioned that in the book, you said when something unbearable happens, we're tempted to move on quickly. And does moving on too quickly prevent us from honoring our losses? Yes, I think it does. Yeah. And one other gift of this particular time of COVID is that we are paying more attention to everything. We are paying more attention to everything. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that? I think um, we notice nature and its blessing. I think we notice our particular virtues and how we've prospered. I think our faults, we are recognizing more and more deeply at this time of vulnerability. All that we have rushed through in our frantic busyness before, we're stopping to recognize more deeply now. And I hope after COVID, God willing, if there is an after COVID, that we can retain some of this attentiveness. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And I have thought a lot about that because I, I've called this the great slowdown. It is. It is the great slowdown. I love that. Yeah. And if any time you ever were interested in getting spiritual, yeah, using spiritual practices, I mean, now would be the time because we are exactly, it's like the curtain's been pulled back and we sort of have to have had a good look at the, maybe the people that we live with and, um, you know, our, our relationships and those dynamics, or, you know, we could be alone and, and, um, you know, and that's, that's a loss of control too, not being able to be with others. Like you mentioned, you know, I felt the pain of that when, you know, you talked about your son and your beautiful granddaughter that you haven't been able to touch yet. You know, there's a difference between being together in Zoom, which I do think there is a connection, um, which I find fascinating, but I think it's like an energetic connection, but being together um, with others and touching and, and feeling um, is is different. So Mm -hmm. thank you. And the third gift of waiting uh, is living in the present. And we've touched a little bit about that on that, but uh, living in the present calls us to be here now. Living in the present invites us to relinquish worry. Um, Tell me about that. Oh, my goodness sake. (laughs) Um, Living in the present has been a huge gift of waiting to us during these past months because we have no choice. We have to dwell richly in the present because we can't control anything. We can't predict anything. Every day on the news, you know this, Pam, there's different things to learn about vaccines, about the movement of Delta, about availability. Every day, there's something new to learn about international um, news or about COVID vaccines specifically. So living in the present and accepting the living in the present is, is a great benefit to us right now. And I think it goes back to paying attention I think it goes back to savoring. I'm a big saverer. My dad taught me to savor. And I have learned to savor better during coronavirus because I've just savored the blessing of small things. And I've noticed more what's going on around me. Before you move on, can you expand on that? Do you say my father taught me about savoring? How did he teach you that? He was a great 
lover of the practice of stopping. Thich Nhat Hanh says practice stopping. And my dad did that really well. He was not a rest person. He was a savoring person. And he, um, he died in 1998 when he was, he died of an aneurysm and he was swinging on a porch swing or a swing in our backyard in where he lived in Columbus, Ohio. And he was feeding corn to the squirrels. And that's where he died in the backyard. And he was savoring at that moment of his death. And I'm strangely glad he could die at that moment because for him, it was a good moment. Yeah. But he was a great savorer. And he taught me especially to notice the beauty of nature, to relish the slurping of a golden delicious apple in the fall, to listen to the wind in the pines, to feel the cold water of a lake or a spring. There was nothing that escaped him in the savoring department. And I'm very glad that's been part of my legacy. Mm, what a beautiful gift that he offered you. I love that uh, to savor, to savor all of those. They were all felt things, you know, the yeah. feel of the apple, the feel of the cold water from the lake. Very sensory. Yes. And Pam, I've, I've talked to a number of people lately who have said during COVID when they couldn't go places, they might take a drive in the country or take a little drive in the car and they notice things. They see beauty. They appreciate and savor things that they wouldn't even have vaguely noticed before. Yeah. And, what and, Jesus, that and Jesus was a saverer. When That's we think about the scriptures, and I have to laugh, Jesus did not drive. Barbara Brown Taylor draws this to our attention. Jesus did not drive. I don't know why I think that's funny, but he didn't. And because he was a walker instead of a driver, he was also a saverer and a noticer of small detail. So there's a lot of good lessons there from Jesus himself. Holly, I'm, I'm feeling like that's the title of your next book. <laughs> I, say, I just want to note that that was said here. <laughs> oh, you know, um, you it's asked me about, about living in the present, Pam, and the relinquishment of worry is huge. And I write about that in that chapter. I grew up with a mother who felt it was her obligation and expectation to be the designated worrier of our family. And so I always thought there had to be a designated worrier in every family. And I humbly say that I took that on from my own family until I drove everyone totally crazy. And we don't need to be like that. I think the relinquishment of worry is a huge part of our spiritual development because, and we're inclined to worry. We, we innocently think that worry is gonna get us somewhere. And it does, it increases our anxiety and our desperation, but there's no good fruits out of worry. Yeah. And I think when we practice not worrying, when we practice trusting ourselves, when we practice trusting God, it does us a great deal of good. Where was that shift for you? You said that you used to be the worrier. You took on that role. And it's, it's interesting because once we under, understand ourselves better, you know, I, I, that's when the transformation happens. And, and we also, we bring gifts with us from our ancestors, you know, down through the line. I sure know that I have in my own life. And uh, my mom did her fair share of worrying too. What was that shift for you when you were able to sort of relinquish that, when you were able to shift out of that? Well, with great humility, I'll say it was driving my family nuts. I mean, when you have a chronic worrier in your household, it's just annoying. It's just annoying. And I realized and I don't mean that I was upsetting people all the time, I was not. But when I would evolve into a deep period of anxiety or worry, it was sort of contagious and extremely unhelpful. And finally, I reached a point where I thought, 
there's nothing good out of this. And I really need to stop worrying. It's part of my own spiritual practice to surrender that, Mm -hmm. to offer it up and to know that I can trust the Holy Spirit and that I can trust myself more deeply. And it goes back to, you know, that loss of control. You know, that's why all of these practices are all sort of inter- interwoven with one another, I think, or they all cross over is that, uh, you know, you wrote here, the truth is worry never really teaches us anything useful. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Nothing useful. Yes. You know, I know for me, my youngest just got his driver's license and off they go. (laughs) And my, my services are no longer needed, but the worry when they're out on the highway or out on the road and, and I sort of just have to, you know, for me personally, my practice is just handing that over to God because it's that loss of control. I don't have any control over it. And and of course he needs to drive. He's going up and, and, you know, getting ready to leap out of the nest. Um, and I have to be able to let that go yes. as difficult as it is, but it's sort of when I can catch myself in that spiral of worrying um, yes. over something that I can't control when I get, that's when I sort of can release it and, and, and let it go and hand it over. Yeah. Um, and those great- are hard things. I respect yeah. how hard that is. Yes. Yes. There's a great prayer for that. It's, it's the cupping of the hands where you fill up all of your anxieties. And then when you flip your hands over, they sort of fall out. And on the bottom of it, you know, Jesus's hands or God's hands or your sacred or whoever that is for you is, is, is in it with you and, 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 you know, looking over your loved ones, or at least that's what I, I like that. One of my practices that I do. Yes. That's fair. Um, You said when we worry, we disempower ourselves and lessen our trust in God. When we worry, our anxiety mounts as we manipulate everyone around us to make to make room for our worry and to accommodate our anxiety. Yes. That's pretty much what we talked about. Yeah. It is indeed. Yes. And I think that letting go is probably a great practice for, you know, for that. So it's waiting teaches us to dwell fully where we are. Um, how can we learn to appreciate the now while we're waiting? I think just acceptance. And we've talked about that a little before, but an actual repetition of the phrase be here now has helped me over and over. When I am worrying about the future or chafing at the fact that I can't control anything, I will actually call myself back to that three word phrase be here now. And sometimes I'll stop and breathe through that and just meditate on it, repeat that phrase. And it's soothing. It's invitational. It's comforting. So I think uh, there's a lot to say about be here now. Yeah. And you know what I love about that? It's so simple. It's so simple. And I think that when you hear the word spirituality or you hear practices, people are like, oh, well, what's that? And just as easy as sort of paying attention to my feet, you know, I'll even think about all the sensation in my body. I'll just think of my feet and I'll say, be here now. And just that deep breath in and out for a second. Um, You can walk over to the window and do that. And it brings you right back to the present. You're right. There's something very comforting about it. Yes. Especially if you're feeling anxious. I love that. Yes. Yes. So you write um, in the book, you said, when the Buddha was asked, sir, what do you and your monks practice? And he replied, we sit, we walk and we eat. The questioner continued, but sir, everyone sits, walks and eats. And the Buddha told him, when we sit, we know we are sitting. When we walk, we know we are walking. And when we eat, we know we are eating. Consciousness, consciousness, consciousness. And I think we all know this, Pam, but especially before COVID, we moved through much of our lives unconsciously. We performed many acts without paying attention to them. Um, For example, I have really had fun cooking during COVID. I've, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have been paying more attention to meals, to food preparation. I've received beautiful gifts of loaves of sourdough. Sourdough seems to have been especially popular during COVID. 
but we're paying attention to these kinds of things. And we're savoring more, we're stopping more, and all that is part of living in the present richly now. Well, when I read this about the Buddha, I thought of your father. Yes. Your father lived his life. He say, you know, you could really write in here. The Buddha could have said we savor. Yes, (laughs) we we savor. And it is about savoring. It's about paying attention to every little act you perform. And another layer to that about paying attention. And you were saying that people are cooking more. I think people are also paying attention to where the food's coming from. Yes. Some of them are now, I have lots of friends who have gardens, including myself that, you know, that I didn't really have time to garden before. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm savoring that time going to the garden and picking and watering. And and it's so quiet and peaceful there. And it's, it's such a great, I I don't know. I just love that on my plate, when I'm making a salad, that the the food, you know, came because I, I planted it. And so there's this whole other layer to it that, you know, like I said, I didn't have time for that before. And I certainly have, and I have the time now, you know, I'll add something to that. About five weeks ago, my husband started raising monarch butterflies. So on our bike rides, he would collect leaves of the milkweed and they would have monarch eggs on the leaves and he would carefully tend to them. And then those eggs turn into caterpillars and they're kept in little boxes. And the caterpillars, I have to say, do poop poop a lot. So you have to clean out the poop from the prolific pooping caterpillars. Who knew that? (laughs) But then they evolve into the chrysalises and then the chrysalises turn into the beautiful monarch butterflies. So I have had such a good time in the last five weeks watching the evolution of these monarch butterflies from eggs on the underside of the milkweed leaf to the flying monarchs and watching the chrysalises evolve. And we never would have done that before in our lives. There wouldn't have been the attention to that slow unfolding. And it's just a beautiful thing that's developed in our household. I love that. And there's so there's so much to learn about watching with patience <laughs> that unfolding, waiting, waiting for that unfolding from, you know, the, going through all of those steps. Absolutely. It will not be rushed. It, it is active waiting. It will take the time that it requires. Exactly. It cannot and, be rushed. And it, somehow there's great um, theological symbolism in the emergence of a butterfly. We know about that. And um, we do not want to come out of COVID uh, still being chrysalises instead of butterflies. Exactly. Um, You say it comes back to living in the present moment. It's an invitation to sit down, take a deep breath and ask what is in front of my face this very minute that summons me to faithfulness. Yes, yes. Living faithfully now is a great challenge. I think we've all been thinking about that. Yes. Yeah. You say the fourth, uh, the fourth gift of waiting is compassion. Compassion reminds us to be, uh, that we are not alone. Um, compassion teaches us how to receive. Compassion allows us to be seen for who we really are. And compassion helps us gather strength from others. And it also offers us hope. There has been such universal bonding during this last 18 months a common waiting, a common experience, a common suffering. And I don't mean that all people have suffered equally. Some have suffered a great deal more than others. Somebody wrote somewhere I read, um, we're all in the same ocean, but not the same boat or something. Yes, well, that would be apt. That would be apt. But I think this has led, I think it's led to a great bonding with one another. I think it's led to our own vulnerability. And sometimes when we're vulnerable, we bond with other people much more readily. 
And I myself, Pam, have been great, very grateful for the deepening of friendship during COVID. I would not have anticipated this, but I have deepened so many friendships during COVID. Um, others have fallen away. I'll be honest about that. But I have deepened many friendships. And I think that's a part of our common vulnerability, our common trusting of one another, and just our shared, we're in this together and we all have to survive. Mm. But we're showing, God willing, it, you know, there's also bitterness and there's also division, but there's also coming together. There's also recognizing that we're all in a tough place and have to be kind. There's more compassion for one another. Yes. Because we're all much more alike than unalike. And yes. we're all experiencing the same fears, worries, and anxieties that, that everyone across. And so if I can lend a helping hand to someone or be there for someone else, um, I'm so happy to do that or to deepen my relationships with people that um, I may not have had time for before. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I have the time now to invest or there might be a friendship that sort of got away you know, I just didn't have time for, and I've reconnected with some people. Yes. Yes. Maybe perhaps because we realize the importance of that, that that's really what matters um, are those relationships and, and togetherness with, with the people that we've cared about over our life. Yes. And I think part of compassion for others and for ourselves is the spiritual practice and this is in that chapter of learning to receive. And most of us are excellent caregivers. Most of us are attuned to caregiving. That's what we're accustomed to. That's what we've been trained to do. And I think living in compassion also invites us to learn to receive. And it's hard to receive. We don't want to lose the moral high ground. We don't want that kind of extra vulnerability. And yet, when we learn to receive, we become humbler, more expansive, gracious people. And I think COVID has deepened that for all of us, not only in our giving, but in receiving, accepting compassion, accepting help because we've all been needy. We've all been very needy. Do you find, at least I have found this in in my practice uh, with with women's groups, um, it's very hard for women to receive. You know, if somebody gets sick or needs help, those meal trains start and people are often running to help. But when it's your turn. Yeah. And I used to talk about that a lot when I was doing my in-person groups about be, re, receive this. Yes. Or if somebody was receiving it, well, I would say, you know, look at Katie. Katie is receiving. Yes. She's grateful for the outpouring of love. And she's, she was lapping it up. And I loved that because there is that sense of vulnerability or I'm not strong enough. Or do you, do you, do you see that with women? I see that with everybody, but more with women than with men. I quote in the book, an early mentor of the Christian faith who says it is better to receive than to give, which is very countercultural to what we've learned. But if we learn to receive well, which is part of this whole umbrella of compassion that we're talking about, then we engage in mutuality mutuality, I've come to know, Pam, is tremendously important. If I'm always the leader, if I'm always the giver, if I'm always the director of everything, there's no mutuality. And when we learn to receive, we become tender, we become open-hearted, and we become vulnerable and mutual. And that's a huge spiritual growth. And that's part of this whole thing of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. It's a good reminder because I give talks around spirituality, but then I went to a talk, you know, like two weeks ago and it was so funny because 
you have to be the receiver. You know, I'm sitting in the audience in the back. And you try not to to critique or analyze, but I, you know, it was a great delivery. This guy did a, an amazing job, but to f- turn it around, um, uh, and and maybe you find this too in your own work to sit back and and receive that there are gifts. I'm always like, you know, I love learning. I'm always taking classes, always in school, and. Uh, to, to be able to switch those roles, I think is so healthy. It's very healthy. Yes. It's what we all need. It's what we all need. Yeah. So the fifth gift of waiting is gratitude. Uh, gratitude turns obstacles into opportunity. Gratitude moves us beyond entitlement. I love that. Um, gratitude opens our eyes to the blessings of the small things. Um, and we, we touched on that with the butterflies and, and, uh, you know, and your father, um, you know, I still have that image of your father you know, having his apple and feeding the squirrels. Um, waiting teaches us the value of the small things. Um, what are some of the ways that we can be grateful for our present circumstances? You know, I think honing in on the blessings of small things is extremely important. This is all part of that paying attention. During COVID, And long before that, I have done a daily inventory every night before bed. And I have asked myself, what have been my sources of grace today? And for what do I give thanks? And Pam, when I lie there in bed and I review the day by hour or by section, And I ask myself, and I do like that wording, what have been my sources of grace? Because grace goes a long way. What have been my sources of grace today? And I review all that. And for what do I give thanks? It causes me to shift. And it's helped. I've done this for a long time in my life, but I have to say it it has been deepened during COVID. I never neglected it during COVID. And it causes me to shift from being a whiner, an entitled whiner, to somebody who pays attention to the blessing of small things. And I have to say, it's slim pickings some days. You know, it's slim pickings. But then you find something. You find something that has been grace-filled. And you find something to be thankful about. And that, I have to say, that spiritual inventory at night kind of has saved me Mm. during these last 18 months. It's kind of saved me. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed, too, with a practice like that is that when you know you have that practice at the end of the day, that during the day, you're almost on the lookout for it you know, you're like, oh, well, well, wow, there's something that I can, I have a friend who, who created something. I I forget what she calls it, but it's like the, the gratitude buddy system or something like that. And she would pair you up with a partner. And so for a certain amount of time, weeks, you would have to text at the end of the day, your partner to tell them that we really, the practice that you're doing, you know, what you were grateful for. And it was just such a great reminder. And, and some people are still doing it years later. I've, I've done it with groups and, you know, people do it for, for some time, but it was like, you were on a treasure hunt for the grace. Absolutely. I love how you put that a treasure hunt for the grace. And yes, um, I have to laugh when people come to me for spiritual direction, they will often say, Holly, I was sort of on the lookout of what I was going to talk to you about because I knew we had an appointment. And it's the same thing with that daily inventory at night. Um, You are on the lookout. You're on the lookout for grace and blessings. You're paying attention. You're conscious. And those are wonderful things. And your focus is on the good. It's on the small. We keep going back to that on focusing on the present moment, focusing on the small things. You know, for me, you know, I'm out, I'm out in nature all the time. You know, I'm in the mountains here. And, and so I'm constantly looking at those small things, but I'm pausing, I'm taking them in and, and, and giving thanks for them. There was a, there was a woman up here when I led a workshop once that said, uh, 
she was a school teacher. I thought this was great. She said she would go out into nature and she would just go on a gratitude walk and she'd say, thank you for that. And thank you for that. And, and so it's a great practice because it really does shift our perspective and, and widens our lens for all the beauty that's already right here among us. And we're yeah. often looking for something else somewhere else or for something better or bigger. And, 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 and if we just opened our eyes, we, I think we would notice that, that it's right here. And even in times of trauma and desolation, I think by asking those questions, what have been my sources of grace today? For what do I give thanks? Even in times of illness or trauma, it may be so-and-so called me today. So-and-so listened to me. So-and-so deeply understood what I was trying to say or someone brought me food. There's just, even in the midst of suffering and desolation, um, the call to gratitude yeah. can be profound. Yeah. And often we can't see that when we're in it. So I think that sometimes we can be grateful for things if we reflect back on them, perhaps. Yes, yes, yes. So in the book, you quote Timothy Miller, um, how I want what I what how to want what you have and he says the feeling of gratitude is a shy bird chasing it does no good genuine gratitude can never be forced trying hard to feel gratitude is like trying hard to fall asleep or fall in love the harder you try to be grateful the more elusive the experience becomes it must come to you on its own schedule and its own terms you practice gratitude gratitude by carefully building a home in your heart to accommodate it the bird does not always come but if you make a home for it, it comes often enough. And I think that spiritual practice of the daily inventory provides a home for gratitude. Yes, yes. I love that you do that. So thank you for, for reminding us about that. Um, the sixth gift of waiting is humility. Humility leads us to the grace of God. Humility leads us to love rather an achievement. It leads us to honor others. It leads us to live without judgment and it leads us to an honest assessment. I think the noticing of grace is a huge part of our spiritual development. How does grace come to us? And also the part about judgment, Pam. I think living in humility invites us to examine the way we judge ourselves and judge other people. And I feel that this last 18 months has taught us to be more gentle in that category about judgment. I think it's shown us that in our striving to be humbler, that we can recognize our common humanity and we can be tender to ourselves. We can be tender to other people. As I age, I have understood that judgment is cruel. Judgment diminishes us and it diminishes others when we judge them. Judgment is a terrible, terrible thing. I, I am knowing that more and more deeply as I age. And when have you ever felt good after you've judged someone? Yes. And it's a seduction and a temptation for each of us. And I think we need to control it and release it and pray about it. But under this umbrella of humility, I think releasing judgment is part of our depth of our becoming more humble people. And our, our experience of COVID together has taught us a thing or two, has taught us to be less judging of ourselves and others. And I feel positive about that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm hearing some, some, uh, some kindness around that, but also self-awareness to catch ourselves when we're doing it to other people. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there's an old quote attributed to Philo of Alexandria to, that says, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And more than ever, we have noticed this during this time. And each of us has our own battles. And we're recognizing that. Yeah. 
I always remind myself of that when you, or I remind my kids of that when somebody lashes out, mm-hmm. you know, surprisingly, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what was, yeah. what was that? And yeah. it's always exactly somebody's fighting a battle that we know nothing about. And so I, you know, I would offer that I would pray over that person, you know, to yourself um, for peace, yeah. for, for healing. Um, so the seventh gift of waiting is trust in God. Trusting God is an invitation to let go of fear. Trusting God is an invitation to trust in love. Trusting God is an invitation to pray. Just what I just said, but waiting teaches us to live in trust. So how can I use waiting to practice trusting in God's love? You know, I think we've had to offer things up during this terrible time of the last 18 months, the things that we can't control. I love words that the author Wayne Muller uses in describing the Lord's Prayer. In his book about the Lord's Prayer, Learning to Pray, I think it's called, he talks about thy will be done. And that is a really hard phrase of the Lord's Prayer, because a lot of nasty, inaccurate, bizarre things have been attributed to the will of God. And he changes that phrase to thy love be done, thy love be done. And Pam, I have used that phrase so often in my personal prayer. I am more and more not presenting a laundry list to the Holy Spirit when I pray. I do believe, of course, that God's wisdom is wider than and deeper than my own. And more and more, I am sitting before the face of God, and I am praying, thy love be done, thy love be done. And I think that covers all the bases. I think that surrenders ultimate trust to the Holy Spirit and says, God, you know best. I don't know best but I'm trying to align my will to you. And I'm trying to develop a deeper trust in you each day. But that's really helped me Mm -hmm. to pray thy love be done. What a beautiful, beautiful invitation for everybody listening to, to, to grab that and to, it's so, again, so simple and so beautiful. And so there's a lot of freedom in that prayer. There is, and that's Wayne Muller who said that, and I've yeah. often been grateful to him uh, for for those good words. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so uh, I typically ask my guests at the end of the podcast um, what their favorite words that they're living by right now, or their favorite words of wisdom or quote is. And do you remember what you sent me, or do you, I could read it? Well, you know, I changed that, Pam, oh, because okay. I wanted to change it to. The epigraph of the book, Seven Spiritual Gifts of Waiting. And um, Gertrude Nelson, and I have this in the very beginning of the book. She says, waiting is the ingredient necessary to a life of quality. Mm-hmm. Waiting is the ingredient necessary to a life of quality. And that says it all about the seven spiritual gifts of waiting. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And if we could all (laughs) remember that during this time, that perhaps, you know, that is one of the great gifts, which I think there have been many as as uncomfortable and, you know, and unease we are with the way things are and our loss of control is that, um, that there is this gift in the waiting for all of us, you know, yeah. Yes. So thank you. Thank you for joining me and, uh, and for, for taking the time to talk about this important topic um, that we're all stuck in this, this holding pattern in this waiting pattern. And you've given us some, some great ideas and some, some um, great wisdom today to apply all those to our lives. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure and honor, Pam. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. 
For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.